This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 86 with Elise Bowie. Show notes for this episode can be found over at shamelessmom.com and just hop over to episode 86. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Elise Bowie is the high energy leader of a family law team at Elise Bowie Family Law Group. She received her Juris Doctorate from Loyola School of Law in New Orleans, where she served first as a federal law clerk and litigator. Reeling from Hurricane Katrina, several moves across the country, and then her own divorce, Elise tailored her legal career around the best interests of children before finally settling and remarrying in Seattle. Through Elise's guardian ad litem work in high-conflict family law proceedings, she truly understands how to preserve civility and respect during the divorce process. Her goal is to serve each client on an individual basis, striving to find real-life workable solutions for the families she serves. Realizing that a marriage is over might make a family stand still. Her practice involves all aspects of family law, preparation of postnuptial and separation agreements, parenting plans, child support, simple and complex financial cases, relocation, and blended families. She has a deep understanding of complex parenting issues which clients may face when divorcing. Elise also has keen attention. Elise also has keen attention to financial details, ensuring that her clients make wise financial moves so that they are in a position to soar post-divorce. When Elise is not busy with her family law practice, she spends time with her Brady Bunch clan of six kids, five pets, and her husband Doug. She enjoys boating and traveling and whipping up some delicious 
Southern food, dining at local restaurants, and lively political debates around the dining room table, loudly cheering on her favorite football teams. I was really excited to do this interview because Elise and I actually have come in touch with each other through a few different avenues, and we met at an event, and then she listened to my podcast, and we reconnected through that, and have another mutual friend now on Facebook, our, our Shiro, Susan Hyatt. And so we've been able to connect on a couple different levels. In the meantime, we're Facebook friends, and we are always like in admiration of what the other person posts. So I feel like we already have this really great connection. So it was fun to be able to talk in person for the first time uh, doing this interview. And what I was so struck with was this underlying theme of resilience. And so Elise is going to share her story of resilience. Um, and actually, in many situations, she talks about her kids' stories of re- resilience as well, which is really fascinating. Uh, her divorce came about kind of slowly because they, her, she and her husband knew that they wanted to get divorced. It had been on the table for some time. And then just weeks before they were going to start this process of divorce, Hurricane Katrina hit and they were in New Orleans and they had to leave town. And so began this journey of relocating their family before they could actually get divorced. So the journey was like intensified on multiple levels with multiple layers to the process for sure. So Elise is going to share all of that, how it all played out, what the short and long-term ramifications of everything were, how she finally ended up in Seattle and then started her law practice to help other families going through high conflict divorce. Elise is going to share with us the biggest mistakes lawyers make in representing people during divorce. She's also going to talk about the power and advantages to mediation. She's going to talk about how to stay out of court, how to save a ton of money, and get what is truly best for your children. She's also going to share what co-parenting looks like from her personal and professional perspective. And lastly, she's going to drop a big truth bomb here that I'll give you a little uh, sneak peek into. The truth is you can be a horrible spouse and a great parent. So we have to be looking for that in our spouses when we go through these situations. So let's go ahead and dive in with Elise Bowie. Elise Bowie, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. So you have a really amazing personal story that is so in line with your professional journey. So I'm really excited to hear about both and learn about both. But can you tell us just a little bit about your current personal and professional life beyond your bio? Okay, sure. Um, beyond my bio, I am a an attorney. I'm a family law attorney. I work with um, families in high conflict divorce situations. And um, I also am a divorced mother of four, a stepmother of two. So we have sort of a Brady Bunch, three girls, three boys kind of situation. Wow. Um, and we're also a relocated family, which is sort of a twist that is interesting. My ex-husband lives in Minnesota. And so um, he spends time here in Seattle pretty regularly, actually in our home, which is sort of interesting. But um, yeah. yeah, we leave the house and he stays here with the kids. And um, and I am a huge football fan, both professional as well as probably bigger is high school football. I mean, I'm I love fun. Yes, I love football. My boys have all played football. So, you know, I've enjoyed like the Roosevelt football team here in Seattle and then the Lakeside football team. And um, so, yeah, it's a ton of fun. I love high school football. I think it teaches kids so much fun stuff. The lessons around sportsmanship and and like commitment and dedication and discipline. I mean, there's yeah, so much value there. So are you a diehard Seahawks fan then? Oh yeah, season okay. tickets. We wow. love the Seahawks game. Nice. Last last weekend was tough though with the Patriots because my husband's a big Patriots fan. Oh, so you know, okay. yeah, I was glaring at him the whole time when I would see any level of excitement when the Patriots were getting ahead. But 
That's he's so funny. He wanted the Seahawks to win. So. I am I am not a Seahawks or I'm not a football person. I don't understand the game. I've just never taken the time to figure it out. And now as a Seattleite, it's like I'm a horrible person. Like I have to be really quiet that I'm not super into football because it's like a, such a big deal now. It <laughs> and, is. And it oh, wasn't yeah. for so long. It was kind of just like, oh, the Seahawks, whatever. But now it's like such a big deal. It's huge. You might want to brush up on it. I can invite you to a high school game. I can teach you. <laughs> teach so yeah. what happens is every year at the Super Bowl, until a couple of years ago, until the Seahawks really started getting um, so much attention and getting so good, I would like every year at the Super Bowl, I would kind of learn a little bit, but then I would forget it by the next year. But then with the Seahawks, I mean, now it's like you are everyone in Seattle is obligated to watch every single game. So I do, I'm learning a little bit more every week but, and I don't, I usually watch like the last 15 minutes and not the whole game, but so I'm evolving. Well, yeah. With the Seahawks, the last 15 minutes is really all you need. They're know. sort of a, you know, come out at the end kind of team. Yes, so. totally. I get all the good stuff right there in 15 <laughs> minutes. You do. So you specialize in family and high conflict divorce, but you also have personal experience in this. Can you share a little bit about your story? I'm um, sure it actually dates back to um, New Orleans. I'm actually from New Orleans and we had lived in New Orleans forever, my whole entire life. And then, and my husband and I were in the process of starting a divorce, like, you know, talking about it. I was getting ready to go back to work. At the time, I was a stay-at-home mom of our four children and had been for 10 years. And so, but we knew, you know, things were not good and we needed to split up. Well, then this minor little storm hit Hurricane Katrina. Oh, gosh. And that sort of sent us on this like whirlwind trip around the country, you know, I mean, for a family who had literally lived in the same place forever. I mean, like I lived in my grandparents' home that, you know, I had gone to since I was like seven years old. So, I mean, talk about stability. And then yeah. all of a sudden we're like, oh, there's this storm. So we evacuate, you know, together as a family. And, um, and we went to Georgia initially for a year you know, we're both attorneys, so we couldn't practice law. You have to like get a new license. It's a whole big process. So, I mean, we're staying together throughout this, just not really knowing day to day what we're dealing with. And then we moved to Minnesota after a year in Georgia. We decided South Georgia was a little much for us. And um, so we moved to Minnesota thinking they had some good schools. They also have this great program with colleges where there's a um, like a consortium of colleges you can send your children to in state. And by this point, post Katrina, I mean, we've used all our savings. Neither of us have worked for the year because we haven't been licensed. So, I mean, it's just been a process. So we got licensed in Minnesota. My ex actually got licensed in Georgia, but um, then we, after we sort of stabilized in Minnesota in it for a couple of years, you know, then we sort of looked at each other and was like, okay, now we can get divorced. And so it was a long, we had a long process of living in the same house, knowing we were not going to be together forever, but also knowing that we needed to stabilize our family after this crazy hurricane that nobody anticipated. Yeah. What was that like living together, knowing what the end was that the end, what that end was going to be? I mean, I think it was in some ways probably the best thing we could have done because talk about learning to figure out how to work through things and navigate things, but without falling back on this whole 
you know, relationship situation. I mean, we just, I mean, we saw counselors and, you know, did all the things that people do in the name of trying to stay together. But I mean, it was just very clear that, you know, we were just sort of ill-suited as a married couple. And, um, but I mean, I think it helped us a lot. I know it helped stabilize our children. I mean, had we split up, you know, three weeks before Hurricane Katrina, I don't even begin to know what things would look like right now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And what did the kids know at the time? Did the kids know as you were going through all this that divorce was on the table? Or was that just between the two you and your husband? It was, yeah, it was mostly between the two of us. And, but I mean, you know, to be honest, the kids definitely saw fighting early on that, you know, they shouldn't have. And I mean, that's probably been my biggest, you know, learning and takeaway. And the thing that I'm able to really share with my own clients is the actual damage that that kind of, you know, arguing and fighting can do to children and really puts them in a situation where they're, you know, feeling like they have to choose and be loyal. And it's just so unfortunate for the children. I mean, we, we were very lucky, I think in many ways, but also, I mean, I would be, you know, dishonest to say that my children, especially the older ones haven't, you know, had some real implications from things that my ex and I could have done differently. Yeah. How old were the children during this time? Well, when we evacuated to Georgia, I had a three-year-old, a six-year-old, a nine-year-old, and an 11-year-old. Wow. That, that that just sounds like so much to manage. I'm oh. kind of blown away by just like parenting four children is one thing. And then also to be like going through this major relationship transition. And then also to be going through like Hurricane Katrina. It's so much. It was pretty intense. I mean, I would be speaking out of school if I said otherwise. And I hate to, you know, put the, the big wrinkle on the thing was my best friend in New Orleans at the time of Hurricane Katrina was in the hospital in a coma. She had just been diagnosed with colon cancer. I mean, long story. I won't go into that. But I was dealing with her six children. Wow. So many layers to this. Oh, it was intense. Yeah, yeah it was an intense time. And when you, you go, know, go, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, as all things, I mean, I look back on Hurricane Katrina now as probably the greatest blessing to our family. I mean, we learned some amazing skills through that time. Yeah, that you know, it's interesting when things like that happen. Um, I think that it's so hard to find silver linings. But then when you look back, you can see where the silver linings were and you just couldn't see them yet. And, you know, like you said, that time together and that time to like stabilize your family before divorcing and all those things that came out of that um, were probably so powerful and impactful. Um, So that's, yeah, it's the hindsight thing. (laughs) Exactly. So what were the toughest parts of your, of the divorce for you and your family? And kind of tell us like, so when you you got stabilized in Minnesota, Yes. Okay. And then, so that's when it actually happened. So tell us a little bit about that transition um, and what were the biggest challenges at that time? Well, so once we got to Minnesota, then um, I was able to um, study for and take the bar exam and start working again, you know, because that was obviously the big key was, okay, I am, you know, not working, but not licensed. Whereas Mm -hmm. in New Orleans, it was just pick up the phone, call my old law firm, say, you know, okay, I'm ready to come back to work. That was going to be fine. So it was a bit of a, a tricky thing to study for the bar exam again. And um, and take that, you know, with the, the four children. I mean, I got up every morning at 4 a.m. to study and, um, 
And then, you know, and at the time I was a substitute teacher. So I would go to my school, you know, and study during lunch. Oh, my gosh. But the I think it was so I mean, you know, the the time was so tough. But I mean, the lessons that we all learned and what we saw. And I mean, my children got to see me work my tail off, which to me, there's some real value in that. And um yeah. And, you know, they just got to watch the whole process of, you know, me going back to work and that whole thing. And I mean, that was a time that I think I became so empowered, just realizing, you know, I got this, I can do this. And I mean, sort of, it became like, not a joke, but I mean, my mantra, I mean, my password on everything was, I can do it. And I mean, I literally just sort of, you know, surged ahead with this attitude of, I am going to be able to do this. I'm going to be able to establish myself again and everything will be fine. My children will be fine and off we go. And so it was um, a powerful time, I think, for me in, you know, coming to terms with what was going on. Yeah. So two things I want to touch on. Um, one thing is that I think that when you're in those kinds of situations and it's, and it's, this was probably a very overwhelming situation for a very long time and it probably over time kind of just didn't feel as overwhelming because it's, it's kind of like when you have a newborn baby and you're so tired, you don't know you're tired anymore. Right. So right. like when you're just under crazy chronic stress for an extended period of time, all of a sudden you're just kind of like, oh, this is just normal. I'm not even stressed out anymore. But exactly. I also think that, you know, you just constantly put one foot in front of the other and you get through those periods and you look back and you're like, wow, how did I do that? But when you're in it, you you just do what you have to do. And I can so see that in your story that you just do what you have to do to survive and get it done. And then you look back at kind of in awe of yourself. Right. Yeah, well, I look back and sometimes I think I sometimes I'm in awe and other times I'm like, wow, that was a little messy. (laughs) And then the other thing I wanted to point out, I love the password comment that you made. And this is something we've talked about on the show in the past is using something that's powerful and impactful for you for passwords. So it's it's like a it's a um, means of affirmation or, or almost a visualization. So I love that you were doing that through this really, you know, overwhelming, exhausting time. You were just constantly telling yourself every time you logged into anything, I can do it, <laughs> which is it's so subtle, but it's also really impactful. Oh, I think it was very powerful. And I mean, you know, without giving up my password now, (laughs) it is super important to me. I mean, I, yeah, I'm a firm believer in, you know, really talking to yourself nicely and and just um, empowering yourself that you can do things. And sometimes it's just tiny little steps like contacting the bar association and getting the application, you know, but without that tiny step, you're never going to fill it out. Right, right, totally. So when you and your when you and your husband did split up in Minnesota, um, how what what would, did that look like in terms of were you in two separate houses then with sharing the kids half time? We, we were, yes, we shared. I mean, we had a pretty fluid kind of situation when we were still in Minnesota because the kids and I didn't remain in Minnesota very long post the actual divorce. Okay. We moved out here to Seattle and. Um, And my ex-husband stayed in Minnesota. I mean, we even drafted a parenting plan for both scenarios um, because at the time, um, you know, I knew I was coming out here and so did he. And so that was a, you know, like everything was 
worked out in advance. I mean, I'm, you know, one of the only people that has a parenting plan that's got a, you know, if we live in the same city scenario, and then if we live far apart scenario. Oh, I love it. And and with that, what, what was bringing you out to Seattle? Was there something in particular? Or you... Yeah, well, my new husband was somebody oh, that okay. I've known for years. But I mean, he and I didn't get together until after, you know, we split up. But right. um, when and he was out here and had children that were okay. you know, way higher up in high school, so he okay. couldn't move. And okay. mine were all at a point that they were at that, you know, freshman in high school, beginning of middle school. So we decided that I would move out here. And then you brought all the kids out. I did. Okay. Yep. And then your husband. So tell us a little bit about what that so and then your husband would come and visit and you would and I know this has probably evolved. And because how long ago was there was your divorce? Um, 2010. Okay. So you're you moved out with the kids. And then what did the initial parenting plan look like when you were first out here? He would have a week a month with the kids out here. And then the kids could uh, go to Minnesota really whenever they wanted. I mean, I had a, you know, give me seven days notice just to get a ticket. But, um, and then, you know, he had really whatever time he wanted in the summer. I mean, it, you know, even then we have been able to be super flexible in that. And so at the time when we first moved out here, my current husband and I owned a house on Whidbey Island as well. So I, we would go to our house on Whidbey. My ex would come and stay in our home. Okay. And, um, you know, I'd give him the car, like we had an extra car, so he would drive the car. And I thought it was important so that he could see the kids' lives here in Seattle and, you know, get to know their routine, like meet their teachers and meet their friends and, you know what I mean? Like be on scene, go to a lacrosse game or go to a football practice. And so that is how we handled it. And as the kids got older, you know, there's been a lot of shifting of things. Some kids, you know, are too busy to really go to Minnesota, then maybe just the youngest will go. I mean, we are really just flexible about about how it works out. Sure. And this episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners 
listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. What was, um, this sounds so peaceful (laughs) and like just this simple little family plan that was like beautifully crafted and all worked out. And I'm sure the reality wasn't that simple all the time. So tell tell us a little bit of that about the nitty gritty. Like did things, how was that for you to like give up, you know, to be like, here, come in my home and have my car. And like, were there, were there ill feelings between the two of you or had you just completely worked past that? No, absolutely not. We definitely have had and currently have ill feelings about certain things. Um, I mean, no doubt. And and I have to tell you, my current husband is a flippin' saint. I mean, <laughs> just the, you know, the understanding of how we are going to have to bend more right. because I moved. I mean, you know, I would be completely ridiculous to think that... I don't need to bend and I don't need to make adjustments. You know what I mean? I moved the children across the country. I mean, no doubt we discussed it. It's actually in our parenting plan. So, you know, from a legal all standpoint, I mean, everything was, you know, every I was dotted, every T was crossed. But I mean, we all know that, you know, what's the law and what's moral or what's right to do for your children are very different things. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I came up with a, the why don't you stay at our house? Because, I mean, the cost of a hotel, that's pretty ridiculous. And um, and we did have this car to drive. And I mean, the whole thing of the children, I mean, the children don't want to go to a hotel. You know, right. that's not helpful to them, whereas they would love to just stay in their house and have their dad come. And um, so, I mean, it's worked out. I mean, he has stayed away from our house a few times since, like, you know, one time he rented a, a house, like, on Lake Union, and they sort of enjoyed that. But, I mean, it it's expensive. And, right. um, you know, so, I mean, I, I am selfish in some regard. I'm like, here, have my house and pay child support, please. Um, <laughs> that makes you know, sense. That totally makes sense. Like, you have to prioritize the spending. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I think you have to look at your family still as a family. And I mean, there is only so much money to go around. Um, And I think you just have to be reasonable about what you can do. And I think you have to really consider the kids. And if the kids are saying, gosh, I don't really want to go to Minnesota. I want to work over spring break or work over Christmas. Who am I to tell my 16-year-old, oh, that's a horrible plan that you're trying to get a day job? You know, like, I mean, I'm going to figure out how he can come here and they can go to their day job. And um that makes sense. So how yes. have your how have your kid what's the been like the emotional evolution for your kids? I'm assuming that there's probably been some like ups and downs and with this whole especially because it was so many moves in a short amount of time. Um Absolutely. What has that been like for them? I mean, I think each child, I mean, that has probably been the toughest part of this is dealing with each child's emotional up and downs, because I mean, those have looked so different. I mean, you know how it is. Kids are just absolutely radically different, even though they're born to the same people and are raised in the same home. You know, I mean, we had one child who was like, when it was time to move to Seattle was like, yeah, great idea. Can't wait. That'll be an adventure. (laughs) Then I had another child that was just like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, no way am I moving? I mean, to the point where I literally didn't think he would get on the plane. He actually stayed behind for some time after we left, you know, driving across the country. And I mean, I was completely prepared. Like I had searched the law. What do you do if your child refuses to leave? And, you know, my ex and I discussed like, well, what will we do? And, you know, we literally walked through the the, I mean, at the airport, what would he do if this child refused to get on the airplane? Because you know what I mean? I thought it was important for us to really come together and have a plan. But I mean, you know, so at the time we were not going to force him, you know, we were going to play that out. And, um, but I mean, he did get on the plane, but I mean, he was angry. And um, I mean, he got to Seattle and was, I mean, angry. I mean, that I just have nothing else to say except, I mean, he was angry and I think he was angry for a while and it was a, a difficult thing. I mean, and he's now, you know, older and I mean, it's been fascinating to see some of the things he has written for school, even as a college age student now. Or things, I mean, he writes sometimes on my blog for work. He sometimes is a guest blogger. And he has written some really poignant things about his stepdad and about what the move meant and about how the move impacted him and how he had to choose to, you know, to just move forward. And I, I, I mean, I admire him a lot because, you know, it, every child was different. I mean, yeah. and... You know, so it, I mean, it impacted us a lot. I'm sure. And yeah, Yeah. I can imagine that like you're trying to, you're trying to resolve so much of your own emotion and (laughs) find stability for yourself. (laughs) And then to have these four little people who are, like you said, managing everything so differently that had to be just so challenging. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think it was, I mean, that's why I say, I mean, my current husband just, is a saint and you know just like absolutely the calmest human on the planet like nothing upsets him I mean (laughs) you know and so like here as he's looking at you know one child who's ready to like tackle the world in Seattle one child who's like so angry he's spitting nails (laughs) a child who's like well just bring me to football practice and I'll be fine (laughs) 
<laughs> and one child who's just like cute little, like, okay, where's the pool? Do they swim? Yes. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's so funny. So then did your, your current husband, his two children, did they, do they live with you or did they live with you at the, in this transition or no. what does that look like? No, they're older. He had one daughter at the time who was in college. Oh, that's right. You said that. At the time, who was a senior in high school. Okay. Like we, so, um, and she lived with her mom on Mercer Island. And um, so, you know, we got to see her a lot. But, um, and he went out to, you know, to dinner with her and did all the stuff he did. And, um, but no, she didn't live with us. Our kids, though, knew each other from New Orleans. And so, okay. you know, the kids have known each other since they were itty bitties. And, okay. um, so that is this other random dynamic that, um, you know, we, which was both very positive in some ways and very negative in others, you yeah. know, cause that was weird for them. Like, they're like, wait a minute, these were the people who lived down the street. You know? and, so these were friends of yours from new Orleans who relocated before you. Correct. Okay. They, yeah. They relocated years before us. Okay. And, um, and, you know, we just had stayed in touch through the years, you know, as families, like after Hurricane Katrina, our family went and visited their family in um, Virginia. They were living in Virginia at the time. And um, and then, you know, he and his wife split up and then we split up and, you know, then they're the kids. And so, yeah, I mean, that's been, you know, that's been tricky to, yeah. to negotiate. But I mean, like everything else, you know, I can't I mean, it's not all good and it's surely not all bad. You know, there's been pros and cons yeah. of, um, of that kind of blended family, which, you know, that by itself is an entire new area of dynamics, you know, learning how to navigate that blended family um, situation. Right, right. Yeah, I did an interview with a woman who got remarried. And I think they had five kids in, that were like with within they were all teenagers at the same time when they got when they got remarried and I was like how how does that work like that sound I'm like getting a stress headache just thinking about this so I mean it's so true like right now we have the six kids and they're 14 to 24 and I mean just the you know what it's like with young adults teens I mean Every week, I'm like, okay, what random torpedo is coming out this week? <laughs> Could someone alert me in advance, please? <laughs> exactly. Oh, funny. So did you, were you already, in your previous law practice um, in other states, were you already focusing on divorce? Or is this something that is new in your Seattle practice? Um, in Minnesota, I did. When I went back to work in Minnesota, I went back to work as a guardian ad litem. I was hired by the state of Minnesota in the 10th Judicial District. They handle it a little differently than we do here in Seattle. So in a guardian ad litem is somebody who is appointed by the court to advocate for children, either in dependency cases like, you know, where CPS is involved right. or in high conflict family law cases. Okay. And so uh, my focus there I actually did both dependency and family law. And then I also had a family law practice okay. as well in Minnesota. So then when I moved here to Seattle, I had to retake the bar exam again. Oh my gosh. Just because <laughs> that's just the fun I have had. <laughs> so once I did that, you know, then I was able to just go right into practicing family law and also doing my guardian ad litem work here in Seattle. Okay. And did you intentionally move toward um, working with families with divorce because of your experience? Or was that just like where there happened to be an opportunity? 
No, absolutely. It was because of my experience and just learning. I mean, you know how it is when you're going through something that's so complicated and so stressful. I mean, I think I spent 3000 hours reading, you know, I mean, I became an expert on co-parenting, divorce, you know, how to handle all the issues of, you know, nesting where somebody's going to come into your home or not, and just all the different things. And I thought, why would I go practice some other kind of law? Like, this is, you know, in New Orleans, I was an insurance defense litigator, which was very unappealing to me. I mean, I actually, you know, quit practicing law to stay home and take care of my own kids. So it wasn't something that grabbed my, you know, my passion, the idea of calling up somebody who's paid their insurance premiums for 30 years and telling them, oh, psych, there's this (laughs) little line in your policy that says, Denial. <laughs> oh, so, gosh. Yeah. Well, I, I, was, I would imagine it really makes work not feel like work so much when you are um, doing something that's so closely related to your own personal experience that you probably feel really passionate about and really invested in because you're in it yourself. Um, and then it like you're learning for your own journey, kind of. And that and then you can help other people learn for their journey as well. And that feels very different, I'm sure, than calling people about insurance. Right. Absolutely. Oh, it just makes all the difference, I think. And I mean, it allows me to continue to learn so much. I mean, like you said, learn from my own journey. And I mean, I learn things all the time, you know, where I get to sometimes say to my own kids, like, that was a major oops on my part. Yeah. And um, I mean, which is, you know, I think it's been good for all of us. Because I mean, I also think for kids to be able to see their parents go through something big, but also, you know, realize like, okay, this could have been done better, or this could have been done differently. And this is what I've learned. And these are the new things I've put into place. I mean, we all kind of make mistakes. And so, you know, I think it's great for kids to see growth, I guess, is what I'm yes. saying. Yes. That. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Talk about um, the, what I've seen. We have a, we have a couple of friends who've gotten divorced and, you know, and I, my husband and I are both children of divorce. Um, so I feel like they're, what I've seen from the, you know, when my parents got divorced and I was so young, I don't remember it. And same with my husband. Um, we were both very little, but it seems like divorce has evolved in our country. And I would say even in the last like 10 to 20 years, even though it happened with our families many, many years before that. So what do you see um, kind of as the current like evolution of divorce and conscious uncoupling and co-parenting? And I feel like there's a lot of growth and evolution with that right now. I mean, I do feel like there is. Um, I tend to think though, that there's also such a pull to um, the old litigation model where people actually consider whether they won or lost. Mm. And to me, the thought that you quote unquote win or lose in a divorce is so abhorrent to how I think because clearly nobody's winning and nobody's losing. Right. I mean, I think the um, evolution of divorce and a lot of the social science research about the conflict and how the conflict impacts children I think it's out there. I feel like for us professionals, it's just there's tons of information and it is out there. I feel like so many professionals, though, won't look beyond what they know. And they know, go to court. They know, let's go file a motion for contempt. And that is what they do. And so, I mean, I I just can't begin to tell you how many people I work with. And I'm like, oh, why did you hire that bulldog? You know, I'm like, this person is literally single-handedly harming your family. And that's, I think, 
the thing that I wish more and more professionals would read the social science, would go to the continuing legal education, would take the steps necessary to really educate themselves on what is possible, but also on what damage is being done. Parents love their children. Even some of the worst parents love their children. And if you can explain to them that what they are doing is absolutely damaging their child, like here is the evidence, here is the science behind it, here are the symptoms that are expected, and here are the symptoms you are seeing in your own child, like damage is being caused, they will back down. And I find, though, that so many people, uh, professionals, you know, family law attorneys, they just won't be real with their clients. And I, I mean, this is probably one of those areas that if I could just like talk about for every day for the next year, I would. I mean, you have to let your client know the real deal, you know, and you have a client and they want to flex all on their rights. I'm like, absolutely. You have the right to flex on all these rights. Absolutely. But you are actually going to be hurting your four-year-old daughter. Like, is that what you're actually trying to accomplish? Or is there something else we can do? You know, is there some other way we can make you feel like you're not being walked on, but you're also not walking on your own child? Right. Do you think that these attorneys are just stuck in an old school model? Or is it based on like greed and um, ignorance? Um, I actually think all of the above. I mean, I think a lot of attorneys are really bad about furthering their education and really becoming experts in their field, you know, like really reading everything they can, seeking out different opinions, you know, and seeking out the kind of um, the different mindsets. I mean, I think it's really important. If you are going to be a good attorney, you need to understand the litigation path, the litigation mindset, but you also need to really understand how to do something more collaboratively or in, you know, alternative dispute resolution. And I mean, if you're going to be a real expert in your field and a real thought leader in your field, you have to know both to be able to successfully work with parties and be able to pull the litigator, you know, to where you need to pull them to, to get them in a place where they can think outside there, I'm filing a motion and, you know, we're going to court. I mean, just the cost of that, when you mentioned greed, I mean, I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, we can file a motion for contempt. You can pay for my child to go to private school (laughs) or you can save your money, maybe pay for your own child to go to private school or get the counseling that they need. And let's work out this issue. You know, let's you bend some, they bend some and we can come to resolution. I mean, the thought of spending people's money unnecessarily to go sit in court and duke something out is really sort of offensive. Yeah. So is that when you talk about like sitting and um, is that is that the difference between mediation and going to court, like where you sit and have conversations about what's going to happen and putting together a plan that everyone agrees upon versus filing motions and spending time in the courtroom? Is that is that accurate? Yes. Mediation is a process where you and there's a different kinds of mediations. Generally, in family law cases, they use something called shuttle mediation, where the parties actually don't sit in a room together. The mediator actually goes from room to room. But I mean, it's a very positional kind of 
mediation where you come in, you know, and you're like, I want A, B, and C. He's like, I want X, Y, and Z. And then you try to get to M. Okay. You know, it's a, a positional thing. So, I mean, it's still got a level of acrimony, but I mean, it's way more productive than filing a motion, having a commissioner tell you you have five minutes to speak and they're going to make a ruling. They don't understand your family dynamics. Right. I mean, that's one thing when when you have a client and they want to file a motion about a parenting plan. I'm like, do you really want some commissioner who might not even be a real commissioner? It might just be a, a pro tem, like somebody who's there for a day subbing, like a substitute teacher kind of thing. I mean, do you want this person like deciding your child's schedule for the next 18 years? Right. Or do you want to tell me what your family traditions are? What's important to you? What's important to your soon to be ex? Like, how can we work this out where it's a win win? So tell us a little bit about conscious uncoupling, because this sounds kind of like uh, this is part of it um, versus divorce. Do you do you um, have expertise in that? I actually have never had a client come in who I would call is doing a conscious uncoupling. Okay. I mean, I think some people get to that point okay. where they are, you know, they're thinking about how they're proceeding really every step of the way. And there's some professionals you know, I take that back. I actually have a client currently who I would say they are doing that. Um, and there are some professionals here in Seattle. I mean, somebody named Karen Bunnell, who actually has written a book um, called The Co-Parents Handbook, which is like my Bible that I pass out to every client I have. I'm like, okay, I'll send you a copy of the book. But um, she does an amazing job working with co-parents and she, you know, really works with them through their issues. And I mean, she can do just a variety of work from couples who are in that sort of conscious uncoupling stage to couples who really are very conflictual, but she manages to help them find the middle ground and they learn to co-parent without that conflict in the middle. Yeah, we actually have some friends. Um, and I don't know the name of the book that they use. And by the way, for those of you listening, I will put the link to that book up on the show notes. So if you go to shamelessmom.com, and then hop over to episode 86, I will have that link available if you want to check out um, Karen's book. But we have some good friends who got a divorce. And they we were like, how and they had a I think he was four or five at the time. And uh their son. And we were like, how are you like managing this? And because it seemed to be very peaceful, like there was had been some un, not so peaceful times, I think, leading up to that. But it seemed to be this like very peaceful, amicable situation. And um, they were like, well, we're reading this book, and we're just following the steps like and they were just like, every they were and so they never got they never went through lawyers or anything. Um, but they were just like totally tied to this book. And they're like, literally, we're like, step number one, step number two, like, and they just kind of went through it. And it worked really well for them. So now I'm very curious if this is the book it was, but um, it was really helpful to them. And they really it was kind of just like this framework for how you can do this. And without, you know, without making the least amount of trauma to the child being the goal, the end goal. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously. And 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. 
with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Um, oh, so. that was just brilliant of your friend. I mean, yeah. I wish I could have just a, a case full of clients who would <laughs> read the book where to be tattered at the end of the process right. because they have followed it so closely. I mean, it is it is the key to your child's psychological well-being. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, bottom line. Yeah, and, and, you know, I just, I imagine... And maybe it comes with time and maybe you see this, you know, I would imagine emotions run really high. And I would imagine when you're at the beginning of it, emotions are just super raw. But I wonder if over time, as you are negotiating things, and especially if you decide to go through like mediation versus uh, going to trial, then would do people kind of calm down at a certain point? And are they able to see a little more clearly? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. If you have a mentally healthy client, you know, obviously there's those errant ones that are not. But I would say that most mentally healthy people, you can almost watch their progression. I mean, I always tell people when I first meet them, I mean, I am seeing them often at their very worst and most vulnerable that sometimes they've ever been in, you know, in their whole life. And like, I don't take that uh, lightly because I mean, I think it is super important that I care for them in a very holistic way. Do you know, like that I, I protect their heart as well as their wallet and their children and themselves. And it, it is so important to get a team around your client. I mean, that is probably the thing that I think is so important is getting a counselor on board. I mean, a client does not want to pay me to hear their rants about their ex. I mean, I am going to charge too much for yeah, that. Yeah. You know? There is no insurance for me. And so like, it, you definitely want to have a counselor help you work through all those things. And then you immediately need a financial person. Like, let's be realistic about what the finances are. I mean, so much of that tug of war is somebody's like, I must keep the family home. And you like start crunching the numbers and you're like, you will literally be at the homeless shelter eating as you drive back to your family home. I'm like, I don't know that that's what you mean to do. (laughs) Right, right. You know, but really getting people past some of those decisions that are more emotionally based and helping your client to understand that there's a huge emotional piece that absolutely must be navigated, but that we also then have to get on their thinking cap and put on their very logical brain so that they're making very sound decisions. Because I mean, I think for me, my highest goal as a family law attorney is for my clients to come out of it okay, for their children to come out of it not only okay, but with at least one parent who is going to do the right thing 90% of the time. Like yeah. who's who knows the book, if yeah. you know what I mean. Like and who's going to do the right thing, even if the other one is doing the wrong thing all the time. My client is going to know the book and they're going to know what they need to do. But also they're going to be empowered to move forward. They are not going to be stuck in the past. And so, I mean, that to me is the whole, it's this whole process. And I mean, I can often see when I have a client that's sort of crossed over from the past to, yeah, I can do this. I am going 
to be okay. And I mean, the amount of possibilities that open up, I mean, it's really sort of inspirational, actually. I mean, I see some people who, you know, when I meet them, you couldn't imagine that six months from now, they're going to be like all put together. They've dropped 50 pounds. They have a new job. Their child just got into the greatest school ever and they got great financial aid because now they're divorced. Well, (laughs) hell yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, and that's again, one of those things. I mean, that's like getting through Katrina. It's like one of those things where when you're in it, you can't imagine life being any worse. And then when you're on the other side of it, you're like, wow, like that needed to happen. And not that Katrina needed to happen, but you get through these things where you see like you would not be where you were without having gone through that really you know, horrendous experience. Well, and I think it's so helpful for clients when one, they learn a little bit about me knowing that I haven't always owned my own law firm and, you know, everything didn't always look like it looks now. I mean, I think it's really important to be really real and vulnerable and let them know. And it also, I think, gives them a sense of oh, okay, you know, this is possible. And I think just having your attorney tell you regularly, you got this, you know, we will be able to get through this. They start believing it, you know, and they're like, okay, I I do have this. And I mean, just helping them find the resources, like get to a great counselor that's really suited to whatever their needs might be, you know, any kind of child resources that need to put in place and really surround them with a village of people that are supporting the mission of them being empowered at the end of this process. Yeah. What are some of the worst things that you see parents do during divorce? And maybe some, I I imagine a lot of this is even unconscious, but harmful. Well, I mean, I think probably the worst thing is, you know, parents who will not come to terms with the fact that their spouse might have been a horrible spouse. I mean, you name it, they did it. But they might still be a great parent. And even if they're not a great parent, their child having a healthy relationship with that parent is important. And is it important to the child's well-being? So being able to overcome the fact that, okay, so maybe your spouse, you know, slept with your best friend. That's a tough sell. Yeah. I I am not going to sit here and say that is not. You literally put on your Mother Teresa hat to get over that. I mean, and that's what's required because your child still needs to have a good relationship with that parent. And ideally, that child will never know from you what happened. Do you know what I mean? Right. I mean, they might figure it out in whatever context, whenever. But I mean, that shouldn't come from, you know, the parent that's left behind. And I mean, it is, you know, alienating behavior and undermining behavior is just insidiously harmful to children. Yeah, that's it's so interesting because my parents were very, their breakup was very amicable and they were like never talked poorly about each other. And I would talk poorly about each of them to the other person and they would, ju- they would just be like, no, no. Like, you know, my mom would be like, your dad's doing the best he can. And then my dad says, your mom's doing the best she can. And I'm like, what? Like, and I wanted like a place. It was, it was so funny how they just like had each other's back. And, you know, their big reason for getting divorced was just poor communication. There wasn't any sort of like, un, you know, long going, arguing and hatred and it wasn't anything like that. So there wasn't a lot of conflict around it, which was, you know, such a gift, um, in, oh, which I, yeah. I didn't recognize so much later in life. But it's funny now, like my mom, 
and just in recent years has started saying like little things about like, well, you know, I think this was probably part of the reason we got divorced. And it's just casual little and subtle things that she'll say here and there when we're together, um, where I'm just at 41 starting to get a glimpse into like why things didn't work. Like she was so protective of my sister and I through that process. And I don't know. I, I mean, I think some of it was very conscious on her part. And I think some of it was just like, I'm doing what I need to do to survive and I'm not going to make this worse and more ugly than it needs to be. Um, but it's very interesting. Like you talking about what the children need to know and what they can find out later and what's like not crucial for them to have any knowledge of now right. or maybe ever. Right. So what- well, and I think it's important too. I mean, for parents, I mean, we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I think it is super important. I mean, my kids hear me say all the time, I'll be like, you know, you need to really focus on what your dad's strengths are. And I mean, get them to name them and, you know, really realize that there are some wonderful things that he can offer to them that I just can't. I mean, they're not my strengths. And, um, and I think, but I mean, I think that in, you know, all kinds of settings, I mean, I feel like we just love to pick out the bad and we fail to see the good and, and by all means the gray. And I think, you know, a lot of times children of divorce tend to, to get, you know, covered in a lot of battle gray. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it also really, it can, that, that idea of only seeing one side or the other and seeing the bad and not the good, it really can cloud your like lifelong perspective. Um, oh. And I mean, I see this in other, I've seen this in people in co-parenting before um, where you can tell how one parent influences the other. And like one parent is this, you know, glass half full kind of person. One's the glass half empty kind of person. And you see this child and you're like, wow, like I see that they are taking on the characteristics of the glass half empty parent. <laughs> right. So it's really interesting. What are some of the best things that you see people do or see parents do during divorce? Well, I mean, I would say the best thing is when you get somebody who they, before they even want to talk to you about the legal stuff, they're like, at least we need a co-parenting counselor. Like we need a person who's going to help us walk through this process. I mean, I can't get enough of those clients where I'm like, yes, you know, and you just immediately send them to Karen. And I'm like, you know, and it's so refreshing. I mean, I get notes back from people. They're like, whoa, she was amazing. (laughs) And, um, but I mean, it can, I mean, if you can get that kind of help, I mean, the parent, each parent needs their own counselor. Mm -hmm. They need a co-parent counselor to talk about how are we going to co-parent because there are so many new dynamics that need to be structured that just didn't exist before. And they change over time. I mean, when a new partner comes into the situation, back to the co-parenting counselor, you need to go because there's going to be new dynamics and there's ways to handle it. That's positive, And there are ways that are very negative. Yeah. And, you know, just that introducing kids to a new partner, you know, that is a, a very big sticking point. I mean, and I'll work with people and they're like, Oh yeah, well I met this guy on Tinder and you know, he came over for dinner on Sunday. I'm like, what? No. no. I'm like, um, no, that would not be healthy. So, you know, having to get people to step back because they're, you know, they're ready to move on. And I mean, as you know, there's always a spouse that's feeling left and there's always one that literally they were gone a year ago. Right. Long before. Yeah. Yes. And so, 
depending on you have to know which spouse you have and then you have to be able to navigate that and often if you've got the the spouse that's been gone for a while i mean you're putting on the reins and the brakes the entire time because you're like in order to do this successfully you're going to have to back up and meet your spouse where they are you know you cannot run this race and get to the finish line and they're still processing that you want a divorce i right. mean you're just going to create conflict that you're never going to get out of. I mean, you're going to be circling back to it 20 years from now. Right. And so, you know, there's a lot of, of just, I mean, psychology work that goes into, I think, successfully representing people through this process. That makes a lot of sense. Tell us, in what ways are you a shameless mom? <laughs> That's a funny question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I am, I am like a no what I consider shameless mom. I mean, we are a silly family where, you know, like our big family tradition is we eat our birthday cake at breakfast. Um, awesome. Every single person gets a breakfast at um, a birthday cake at breakfast. And I can tell you that as they got into their teen years, it's been pretty interesting <laughs> to wake up teens for breakfast to get their birthday cake. They're like, no way. And I'm like, that would be the only family tradition that we all will literally hold on to forever. That's so and, great. I mean, we're silly in that. I mean, I am notorious for never baking the products. We always eat the batter. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're just horrible in that regard. I mean, it's a funny story. Actually, my current husband's daughters, when they were little and lived down the street, they used to come to my house all the time. And I mean, we ate, you know, all the brownie batter and they used to love <laughs> coming over. And I was always like, oh my God, do not tell your mom. Because she's like, <laughs> so not the brownie batter eating type. And I was just like, she is going to come over here and be so disappointed in me. So then I stopped putting eggs in the batter. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and now it's safe batter. <laughs> I was like, now it's like it's actual own dessert. And oh, that's so, so funny. That's and I mean, I, you know, I'm always like, my kids have mental health days where they just get to wake up and say, Mom, I'm not going to school. I'm having a mental health day. But of course, then, I mean, we've had a few slip ups where, like, one time I took my son skiing for a mental health day. Well, the other one is on the school bus telling everyone, Yeah, they're, they're out, you know, snowboarding and stuff. <laughs> I was like, Could we not tell the whole bus? Oh, that's so great. That's so funny. Very cool. Tell us about the legacy you're building and how does being shameless play into your legacy? Um, I would say that, I mean, for me, the legacy that I'm building is really related to my own children of showing my children that, um, I mean, I can go from being a 10 year stay at home mom, you know, not working at all to, you know, moving them across the country, getting remarried very successfully and, and moving forward and, you know, starting my own practice and my practice is, you know, highly successful. And my children, I think are, they've learned a lot about hard work and resiliency. Yeah, it sounds like it. I, th I mean, those, you know, you going through super, super challenging times and m multiple transitions like that, you know, I'm sure took a toll on all of you in different ways and m much of what you've described. But yeah, that sense of resiliency is also something that like that doesn't go away. Like that will really be valuable to them for the rest of their lives and have really impacted them. 
Well, it was interesting. I mean, my daughter, who is a um, senior in college, and she is currently working um, at Planned Parenthood in D.C. She's been on an internship and then contracted out to the Hillary campaign. So, I mean, obviously, this campaign cycle and what happened was like really troubling and traumatic to her. And it has been fascinating to see her over the course of this week. And I mean, just this morning, I made some comment because she's applied to go to graduate school in London. And I was like, you know, oh, yeah, this might be a good four years to go abroad. (laughs) Seriously. And she was like, she was like, mom, she goes, we need to stay and fight, not run away. And I thought, you go, girl. Yeah. I'm like, absolutely. Yes. So I see that resilience, you know, in them, which to me is just crazy cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the legacy you've built is not it's not a small or quiet one. (laughs) I like I like that. (laughs) No, quiet is not something. My children would actually say I'm the loudest human at a football game. I mean, my son's like, how can I actually hear you in my helmet on the field? But I do every game. That is so great. That's awesome. Well, Elise, this has been so helpful. This conversation has been really uh, impactful to me. And I feel like I've learned a ton. And I know it's going to help a lot of our listeners. So I'm really looking forward to getting this out there. And we will get it published quickly. So we can get um, people who are in family, you know, tumultuous family situations, um, I think will benefit from this tremendously. Thank you for spending time with us. Before you go, can you tell us where we can find you? And especially, I want to put link to this blog as well. I want to read your son's blog posts. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. My blog is very interesting. It's actually called Lanyap, which a lot of people don't know what that is. It's a New Orleans word for like extra. Like in New Orleans, when you go to get donuts, let's say you get a dozen donuts, you always get a 13th. Or oh. you buy like a pound of crawfish. They always give you, you know, a few extra. They'll throw in some scallops or something. Oh, cool. And, yeah. So, um, I mean, my, my website is Elise Bowie Family Law. And, um, you know, there's a lot of New Orleans themed things, even my logo, because I mean, I just have a real love of the city of New Orleans, having lived there my entire life. And so my logo is a combination flirtily with the space needle in the middle. Oh, my gosh, so cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Actually, my stepdaughter designed it. So um, yeah, so it's pretty cool. cool. Well, we will link to your website and your blog. And then we'll also uh, link up to that book, the co-parent handbook as well over at the show notes. So all of you can find that at shamelessmom.com. Hop over to episode 86 to find that. So we're going to quickly get through our lightning round if you have time to stick around for that. Oh, sure. Okay, let's do it. So red wine or white, white wine? Red. Nice. Current book you're reading the last one you read? Um, Sisters in Law. It's about Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, how they went oh. to the Supreme Court and changed the world. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it sounds like a book that a lot of people would like to read for some hope right now. Yes, indeed. What is your favorite non-work related thing to do with time to yourself? Definitely getting my nails done. I'm a manicure queen. Oh, fun. What's one morning ritual you can't live without? Um, my must do today list. I make this list of, you know, what the things like come death or not, these will be accomplished today. Oh, that's uh, yeah, I do that. I do it weekly. But yes, yeah, like my three crucial tasks. That's so so important. Uh, Who's your biggest inspiration? My kids. Oh, and if you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be? And why? Oh, for sure. A crystal ball so they could see into the future. (laughs) 
so that you could stop sweating the small stuff and focus on the big stuff that actually matters. Kids are amazing. And I mean, some things you spend all these years focused on, like this kid doesn't clean their room that, you know, they're horrible. (laughs) Oh my God, how are they ever going to function? And it turns out they're like, you know, they have OCD and they live like these freaky clean lives once they're on their own. I mean, you just, there's so much stuff we get so bogged down in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a that's the crystal ball superpower. I love that. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, Elise. And we'll have to talk again soon. I really appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your, I know, very busy schedule. Yeah, thanks so much. It was a ton of fun. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You too. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this episode was impactful for you. And if it would help anyone you know who might be going through a a situation around divorce, separation, co-parenting, please do share this episode out. You can find all the information and a link to the episode if you hop over to shamelessmom.com. This is episode 86. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at the Shameless Mom Academy, and you can share from those platforms. If this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a new episode. So please do tune in. You can subscribe by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, which will allow you to pop right into our iTunes page where you can hit the subscribe button and get all of our new episodes right as they're released. It will also allow you to leave a review so you can click on the little write a review button and write a review and let me know what you loved about this episode or what you're loving about the Shameless Mom Academy. So thank you so much for listening. I always enjoy spending time with you and I always appreciate your feedback. Until next time, remember no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.